morning. Good morning, everybody. I'm going to do one of these guys again and try to move this. There we go. Good morning. If uh, you, It's good to be with you all this morning. If we haven't gotten a chance to meet, uh, my name's Aaron. I have the joy of getting to be a part of the team here at Wellspring. It's good to see all of you. Before we get into our study through the scriptures this morning, if you're a kid and want to hang out with some other kids, there's some amazing folks over to my left here in the back that would love to hang out with you this morning. So feel free to make your way that direction. And for the rest of us this morning, instead of being in the book of Joshua, and I'll explain as we go along, we're going to do a little bit something different this morning. We're primarily going to be uh, looking at Psalm 61 and then a little story from the Gospel of Mark this morning. But before we get into that time, what I would like to do, if you can, if you're able, is to maybe stand together for the reading of God's Word. We're going to be reading from Psalm 61, the first four verses of Psalm uh, 61. God, hear my cry. Pay attention to my prayer. I call to you from the ends of the earth when my heart is without strength. Lead me to the rock that is high above me. For you have been a refuge for me, a strong tower in the face of the enemy. I will dwell in your tent forever and take refuge under the shelter of your wings. God, I pray that you would speak to your people this morning through your word. We look to you. Amen. You may be seated. Psalm 61 has been a psalm personally for me that has meant a lot over the years. It's a psalm that captures so much of the honesty and the vulnerability that we are invited to be a part of as God's people. Those moments when our hearts are without strength. Those moments when we feel weak and we recognize our weakness, when the world and the circumstances around us are just too much. The prayer in the first few lines of Psalm 61, when my heart is weak, or another translation has, when my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. And so this morning, I would just want to take us through Psalm 61 a little bit for a variety of reasons. But before I get into that a little bit more, I'd like to just read a couple other translations of those, of those verses, just to kind of get a different flavor for some of these lines. This is from the ESV Psalm 61, hear my cry, O Lord. Listen to my prayer. From the end of the earth, I call to you when my heart is faint. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. For you have been my refuge, a strong tower against the enemy. Let me dwell in your tent forever. Let me take refuge under the shelter of your wings. Or the New Living Translation has Psalm 61, O God, listen to my cry, hear my prayer. From the ends of the earth, I cry to you for help when my heart is overwhelmed. Lead me to the towering rock of safety. For you are my safe refuge, a fortress where my enemies cannot reach me. Let me live forever 
in your sanctuary, safe beneath the shelter of your wings. This week, verse 2 in particular really stood out. In the Living Translation, my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. And I don't know about you, but that language of when my heart is faint, or that can be translated when my heart is in anguish or without strength, or that last one in particular, when my heart is overwhelmed. A combination of those words, at least for me, I know for so many of you, somewhat captures what life has been like for me personally and for I know many of you these past couple weeks. It's no secret what's happening on the other side of the world with the terror and the horror of what's happening in Afghanistan. With so many people afraid and fleeing from terror. Not knowing what their lives are going to be like. Not knowing what's going to happen to their loved ones. Just so much confusion and hurt and pain over there. And for so many of our brothers and sisters in Christ being persecuted being hurt, we're able to gather freely here for the most part, but it's not so for so many people on the other side of the world. And then events in Haiti recently, a 7.2 earthquake devastating a country already reeling from an assassination of its leader just not too long ago. With hundreds if not thousands of people without their homes, their livelihood just totally upended. And then maybe even a little closer to home with so much of the uncertainty of Delta and COVID on the horizon. What, would it, what is it going to mean for us in the fall with school, with work, with church life? It kind of feels like a really bad version of Groundhog Day all over again. Just on repeat. And then even closer to home. This past week, we received news that uh, Lynn McAllister, a longtime member here, at Wellspring, passed away. Is home with Jesus now. And leaving behind his wife, Faye, and their precious kids, a marriage of over 60 years. Now, Lynn had been battling Parkinson's disease and late Wednesday night um, went home to be with Jesus. I mean, the McAllisters were and are a, a huge part of our family story. They were the ones that helped us get our, our first house here in PG. And regardless, seeing someone suffer and die is always hard and difficult. And then even more recently, Friday, Saturday, this past week, I get a text, phone call from the Trebacks. Tony, his mom, fell down some stairs at their home here in PG, had to go to the hospital. Claire, their daughter, found her. And right now she's in ICU. Things seem to be getting better. It seems like things will be okay, but there's still obviously a, a long recovery and a lot of uncertainty there. So that's why Tony's not here this morning. And There's just a lot happening. I know for many of you this week, even talking with and meeting with some people, multiple times people said, I am just tired of living through things that are going to be in history books. 
and that sense of when my heart is overwhelmed seems to, at least for me, and I know for many of you, capture the moment that we're in for a variety of reasons, both globally as a country and personally and individually right here in PG. And so as we look at Psalm 61 this morning, I just want to offer a few thoughts and reflections on Psalm 61, and then I want to take us to a a quick story in the Gospel of Mark that I kind of bring some color a little bit uh, to this. But again, Psalm 61, the poet writes, when my heart is faint or my heart is in anguish, I cry aloud to you. There's this honesty, there's this vulnerability that things are not okay, that things are not as they should be. Yet the psalmist, the poet, gazes that attention, gazes that angst and that anguish and that sense of overwhelmingness to where? To the Lord. When my heart is overwhelmed. Notice what the psalmist says, though. It's not if my heart is overwhelmed. It's not if circumstances are overwhelming. It's not if my life becomes full of anguish and angst and heart, heartache. It's when. When my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. There's honesty within the scriptures itself, recognizing, just as Jesus would say in John 16, in this world you will have trouble, you will have tribulation. John 16, but take heart, I have what? Overcome the world. And so the poet recognizes this of Psalm 61, that when, not if, when life becomes overwhelming, The poet's prayer, the psalmist's prayer is, God, lead me back to you, the rock that is higher than I. And I so appreciate this, not only about Psalm 61, not only about the psalms in general, but scripture in general. The honesty, the vulnerability that scripture invites us to enter into. No longer should God's people come to a Sunday gathering pretending like everything's okay when things are not okay. The church should be the first place, the safest place, where we can be honest. We can share our brokenness, share our struggles, share the things that aren't going well, because we recognize we live in a world that has so much pain and so much brokenness, both, again, on a global scale and, more often than we like, on a personal and individual scale. And that, that, that reality, the reality of the brokenness out there and within, and the reality and the invitation to come honestly to the Lord with that is what I think the psalmist of Psalm 61, among many other psalms we could have picked this morning, is inviting us all to, to, to consider what does that look like? What does that look like in those moments, in those places, in those seasons of life? When my heart is overwhelmed, God, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. Because, friends, if we're honest, we've all been there, or perhaps we are there right now. Life not only feels overwhelming in a subjective sense, I think in an objective, real sense, life is simply overwhelming. There's, there's a line in the first chapter of 2 Corinthians where Paul is talking about the comfort of God and that it's through God's comfort, through one another, that God brings comfort. But in that same chapter, Paul himself is brutally honest. He has a line in there where Paul says that we even despaired of life itself. That the apostle Paul, church planter, missionary, 
the one that said, I press on for the upward call in Christ Jesus, the one that was a go-getter, had moments in his own life, according to 2 Corinthians 1, when he said himself, I have despaired of life itself. I'm at the end of my rope, Paul says. In that same letter, Paul would then come to realize through the grace of God that is in the moments of weakness. For when I am weak, 2 Corinthians 12, then I am strong. And that God's power is made perfect or brought to its fullness or brought to its completion in moments of weakness. And here again, the invitation of Psalm 61, when my heart is overwhelmed, when I'm in those moments, those places of weakness, God lead me to the rock that is higher than I. And then I love the last line in verse 4 of the section we read. Let me take refuge or, or dwell in your tent forever. And to take refuge in where? The shelter of your wings. It's this beautiful picture of like having protection and safety and provision Coming to, to God himself, all throughout the Psalms, all throughout Scripture, God, amongst many other metaphors, if you will, is depicted as a rock, a place of sure and steadfast foundation, of solidness, and also the shelter of your wings, a place of tenderness, a place of comfort, a place where we can experience and know the compassion and the mercy of God. But if I'm being honest... If we're being honest, I invite you into this process this morning. In those seasons, in those moments, in those days when life is overwhelming, it's often easier to go to other things, is it not? Instead of going to the rock that is higher than I. And it could be good things. Netflix, Twitter, the Tillamook cookies and cream ice cream <laughs> is by far the best. People keep bringing it over for a young adults group, right? There's often good things that we run to instead. But the invitation, the call, if I can even put it like that, is to, in those moments, those seasons of when my life is overwhelming, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. Let me dwell in the, the shelter, the shade, the protection of your wings. It's only there, friends, that we find protection in healing and life. And so, as we think about this, as we let these words, the words of God himself, life-giving words, speak into our lives, again, I want to ask that question, what might this look like? And to maybe help with this, I want to again turn to, like I mentioned, a short little story in the Gospel of Mark. Mark chapter 5, if you have your Bibles, I want to turn, turn with me there if you can. Mark 5, starting in verse 21. It's a semi-famous story. About two people, and we'll focus on primarily one of them, but two people that, in the language of Psalm 61, are in a moment, a state of just plain old overwhelmingness. They're overwhelmed. They have nowhere else to turn, and where are they going to turn? They're going to turn to Jesus. Mark 5, starting in verse 21, Mark writes this. When Jesus had crossed over again by boat to the other side, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the sea. And one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet, and 23, verse 23, begged him earnestly. There's desperation here. Jairus, the synagogue leader, would have been a man of wealth, status, reputation, but here, in a moment of feeling overwhelmed and desperation, that does not matter. 
I am falling at the feet of this rabbi Jesus. I'm not totally sure who he is or what he's all about, but I think something can happen if I come to him. Begged him earnestly, my little daughter is dying. Come, lay your hands on her so that she can get well and live. So Jesus went with him and a large crowd was following and pressing against him. Now as the story continues, it's almost like Jesus has forgotten about Jairus and this man who has come with his overwhelming state and with his desperation. Because look at what happens next. Verse 25. Now a woman suffering from bleeding for 12 years. And by the way, according to Leviticus, we've just been going through the Torah. According to Leviticus 15, a woman like this with a condition of, of blood flowing would have been considered unclean, not welcome to be a part of community life in Israel. But this woman, verse 26, she has endured much under many doctors. She spent everything she had and was not helped at all. On the contrary, she became worse. That for her, in her moment of feeling overwhelmed, how can I get better? How can I receive healing? Is going to all these different places. All these different avenues of trying to seek help. And like I mentioned just a moment ago, is that not often what we, we do? Going to all these different places, all these different, maybe these are even good things. But this woman is at the end of her rope. And she comes to Jesus. On the contrary, she became worse. Verse 27, having heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd. Now, kind of picture this if you can. Okay, this is a, a crowd. People gathering together around close quarters. There's a bunch of people there. And here is this woman pushing, pulling, doing everything she can to get through the masses. Why? Verse 28. For if I just touch his clothes, I will be made well. Now what's that about? If I just touch his clothes, like is this some, is like magic power just coming out of Jesus? What's going on here? On one level, perhaps, Perhaps that this woman doesn't really have her theology all put together. Let's just for a second run with this for a moment. Perhaps that this woman is being a tad superstitious. That this woman has heard about previous miracles of Jesus, that Jesus has perhaps healed some blind folks, has you know, freed people of demon possession, has done all these different things, and recognizes that there's inherently something particular about this Jesus. That he has a power like no one else. And perhaps in her not so fully formed theology and a little bit of superstition mixed in. She does everything she can. She has the right heart, if you will, and just reaches out. If I just touch his clothes, I'll have some of that power and I'll be healed. Perhaps this is a picture of imperfect, not put together theology, coming as you are, which is all true, right? We don't have to have our theology squared away. We don't have to know everything. We don't have to have all our dots, I, or T's, T's cross, dots, I, however the phrase goes, <laughs> and come to Jesus. You get the point, right? <laughs> but for this woman, for this one who has been having this condition for over a decade, have you been there? It's like, God, I'll, I, I'm just coming. I don't know what to do. It doesn't make sense. And that is 110% true. That we come as we are. In our brokenness, 
or imperfect theology with not all the right answers and that we're invited to come. Matthew 11, come all to me who are weary and I will give you rest. The only condition, the precondition of coming to Jesus is that you be weary, that you be at the end of your rope, that you recognize that you don't have it all put together and that only Jesus can be the answer and is the answer. But let me come at this with a different angle. Perhaps this woman is actually, knows a little bit more than we might give her credit for. See, in the first century, Jesus, he was, among other things, a Jewish rabbi. And as a Jewish rabbi, he would have worn a prayer shawl. I have one here, a, a replica. And on a prayer shawl, there would be these little tassels on the corner. And we have a passage from Numbers 15 that explains this as well. Numbers 15. Speak to the Israelites and say to them, throughout the generations to come, you are to make tassels on the corners of your garments with a blue cord on each tassel. So as a Jewish rabbi, Jesus would have something like this kind of draped around the back, and he would have these tassels on the corners of his prayer shawl, on his sort of outer garment, if you will. And the, the Hebrew word for a corner is this word kanaf, and it's, it's actually really important, so hang with me for a second. Can you say that? Kanaf. Kanaf. And so we know from not only this story, but also some of the other gospel accounts that tell this story, is that this woman in particular is reaching for the corner or the kanaf of Jesus' robe, his prayer shawl. Luke 8, 44. She came up behind him and touched the frim or the hem or the corner of his garment. Something very particular is happening here. This woman is intentionally coming to the corner, wanting to touch the corner of Jesus' prayer shawl of his garment. And so men throughout ancient Israel and rabbis in particular would wear this prayer shawl and have these kanafs, these corners with these tassels as a reminder, Numbers 15, of God's instruction to them. So Jesus, as a faithful Jewish rabbi, more than likely is in this crowd wearing this, this garment. And this woman is intentionally coming up, pressing through, doing everything she can to get to not just anywhere on Jesus' clothes, but particularly to the kanaf, the corner of his prayer shawl. And you keep going through the Old Testament, the kanaf keeps popping up. There's that kind of semi-famous story when David is on the run from King Saul, and David has an opportunity to kill Saul in the cave. And Saul is there in the cave, and the Bible says that Saul is relieving himself, Right? And David goes into the cave, and what does David do? He cuts off the kanaf, 1 Samuel 24, of Saul's robe. It's the corner, the kanaf of Saul's robe. As the storyline continues in the Old Testament, there is this prophecy that begins to develop, that when Messiah comes, that there would be healing in the Messiah's kanafs. Because here's the thing, the same word for kanaf, corner, is the same word for wings, so Malachi 4.2, but for you who revere my name or fear my name, the son of righteousness will rise with healing in its or his wings. In the wings of Messiah, in the corners of the Messiah, there would be healing. That's why throughout the Psalms, and in particular the Psalm that we just read a moment ago, Psalm 61, the last line we read, Psalm 61.4, I long to dwell in your tent forever and take shelter where? 
in the shelter of your wings, your kanafs, the corners, same word. So perhaps this woman maybe isn't being all that superstitious, but recognizes she believes the text. She believes what the scriptures say about who God is, that there is refuge and protection and that there's healing under the shelter of the kanafs of the Messiah. And so that she does everything she can to push, to pull, to make her way through the crowd. Because there's people touching Jesus, I would imagine, in this crowded place. There's people pressing around and against him. We know this from the other gospel stories in Mark 5 in particular. But there's a difference between intentionally pursuing and running after and reaching out for Jesus in faith and in trust, however imperfect that might be, versus casually just being around Jesus, casually just bumping into him here and there. But this woman, in a state of being overwhelmed, going through all these different avenues and paths of trying to seek remedy in healing, comes to this place, pushes through the crowd, reaches out. If I only touch his garments, then I will be made well. The story continues, though. Instantly, verse 29, her flow of blood ceased, and she sensed in her body that she was healed or saved. Same word of her, her affliction. Immediately, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around to the crowd. Who touched my clothes? The disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing against you, and yet you say, who touched me? Right? People are always touching Jesus in the crowd. But he was looking around to see who had done this. Because someone, someone came and pursued with intentionality. And perhaps, I think, with a little more faith than we might give her credit for with a little deeper understanding of what the Hebrew scriptures were saying all along about the Messiah. That there truly is healing and protection in the shelter of God. The woman, verse 33, with fear and trembling. I mean, can you imagine, right? She's not even supposed to be in this situation as an unclean, quote, unclean woman, according to Leviticus. Knowing what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. I love this. She was just expecting and hoping for just one quick healing, she got more in the best sense. An opportunity again to be honest and vulnerable. To really not just experience the healing power of Jesus on a physical level, but the healing power of Jesus for, the text says, the whole truth. Perhaps all of the different things that she had done in the past or that she had regrets for, or that she wished were different, Perhaps, we don't know for sure, but whatever might have caused this situation in the first place. That God, through Jesus here, is bringing even more healing, more comfort than she was even anticipating or expecting in the first place. Daughter. And I believe this is one of, if not two, maybe the only time in out scripture that Jesus says this language of daughter. He said to her, your faith has saved or healed you. It's the same word. Your faith has saved or healed you. Go in peace, shalom, and be healed of your affliction. I mean, think about this. The identity that, that Jesus speaks over this woman. Think of all the other names that she would have been called throughout her life. Probably at the top of the list would have been unclean. Unclean, unclean, unclean. Watch out, stay away. But here, going from this place of, of deep, 
overwhelming this, crying out to a variety of different people and things throughout her life throughout these 12 years, and now coming to a place of not necessarily physically crying out, but, but, or verbally crying out, but physically pressing in, crying out with her body, reaching out to touch the hem of his garment, to touch the, the kanaf, the corner of Jesus' robe, that she would experience on a deeper level than she had already antici- was anticipating, the healing, shalom, the peace of God in her life. I just want to keep going with the story here. If I had more time, I would talk more about what's happening with the, do- the other daughter. But verse 35, while he was still speaking, people came from the synagogue leader's house. Because remember, while all this is happening, there's another situation that has taken place. Remember, Jairus' daughter, the text says, is at the point of death or literally dying. And here, Jesus takes time to heal someone who has had a condition for the past 12 years. Friends, this is medical malpractice, (laughs) right? Someone is at the point of death, and someone has had this condition for 12 years. Which one do you take care of first? The one at the point of death, right? But let's keep reading. Look what happens. They come to him. Your daughter is dead. Why bother the teacher or the rabbi anymore? Friends, in seasons where we feel overwhelmed, I don't know about you, but for me personally, God's delays seem to be the cause of what is causing my feeling of overwhelmingness. Can anyone relate? God, why aren't you working quicker or in this way? Why are you working over here in this person's life but not in my life? Why are they getting answers? And why does it seem like heaven is silent for me? Can you imagine what Jairus and his family perhaps is thinking something similar to that? God's delays, yes, if we're being honest, seem irrational at times and just plain old tiring and frustrating. But Jesus, for us as his followers, I've come to imperfectly, for sure, begin to understand that when we begin to impose our view as far as timing and schedule with God, it's going to really be hard to feel the love of God in those moments. When we kind of press our own agenda and our own timetable on what we want and what we expect God to do, it becomes very difficult in those moments to experience the love of God in our lives. Jesus, verse 36, overheard what was said. He told the synagogue leader, Jairus, don't be afraid, only believe. I don't really like doing this, but technically the only believe line there is in this, the, the kind of the, the grammatical form where it should, can be translated, keep on believing. Like this present ongoing idea. Not just only believe, you know, stop, you're done. But recognizing that Jairus, he came to Jesus in a moment of at least some sort of belief, initially. And so what Jesus is inviting Jairus to do here is, is to not just stop believing, but to keep going with that process. Keep pressing in. Keep crying out, even in this moment of feeling overwhelmed, where your heart, Jairus, I'm sure, is crumbling, is faint, without strength. Keep on believing, although it might be imperfect. Although your theology, your faith, Jairus, I'm sure, does not have a perfect understanding of who God is or who Jesus is in this moment. That's really one of the whole points of the Gospel of Mark in particular. People don't fully get who Jesus is. Yet Jesus still calls and invites people to come. 
He did not let anyone in, verse 37, except Peter, James, and John, James's brother. They came to the leader's house, and he saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. He went in and said, why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but asleep. They laughed at him. He put them all outside. He took the child's father, mother, and those who were with them and entered the place where the child was. Now pay attention, verse 41. Then he took the child by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum. Talitha kum. Which people way smarter than me, the reason that we think that Mark is highlighting this in the Aramaic is that this would have been the very common phrase that this daughter's parents would have said almost every morning. Little girl, it's time to get up. Little girl, it's time to get ready for school or get ready for whatever the day ahead. And to, for Jesus, even in the face of death, his words have that much power. Little girl, it's time to get up. It's time to start your day. Immediately, the girl got up and began to walk. She was 12 years old, and at this, they were utterly astounded. I mean, wouldn't she be as well? Then he gave them strict orders that no one should know about this, and he told them to give her something to eat. The reason I share those stories in light of already reading Psalm 61 is that, at least for me, and I maybe for you as well as we've read them, they're kind of a window, a picture, a, a, an illustration, if you will, of people coming to Jesus in a moment of, of, a, of a crisis, of feeling overwhelmed, of their hearts, their lives, their whole being being overwhelmed to the point of just crumbling, coming to Jesus in desperation. When my heart is overwhelmed, Psalm 61, 2, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. And here in our story in the Gospels, we see perhaps what that might look like. The desperation not necessarily having all the perfect theology or the right answers, but a simple humility and an honesty. Jesus, I need you. And we recognize, again, living, like I mentioned earlier, in a broken world, that things might not always end up the way we want them to. We recognize, like Paul said in 2 Corinthians 1, that there's moments, there's seasons in life where, where Paul says, I have despaired of life itself. And so these seasons of angst and feeling overwhelmed, perhaps they're longer than we might like. But we also recognize as followers of Jesus that there is coming a day, Revelation 21, that there will be no more suffering, death, pain, or tears, and he will wipe all our tears away, which implies at the very least that we enter into the new creation with some tears, with some marks, with some scars of what this world, we've experienced in this world. And there's a coming a day, 1 John 3, where we will see him face to face. And that we will be like him. We will be with him. And so we live in this tension, this in-between time. Or on one hand, we believe in the healing power of Jesus. We believe that as we come to him in our moments of feeling overwhelmed, that God does more, Ephesians 3, than we can ask, expect, think, or imagine. That God has the power to do that. And the tension of sometimes the dark night of the soul is longer than we like. And we hold on to both and we recognize that God is over all these things and that there is a day, again, Revelation 21, 
where the story ends, as J.R.R. Tolkien says in Lord of the Rings, where everything sad will become untrue. And we look forward to that day. But in the meantime, Hebrews 4, let us come boldly to the throne of grace, that we might receive grace and mercy and help in our time of need. Psalm 61, 2, that when my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. But there's, friends, there's one last thing I want to mention before we transition to a time of prayer and worship, and it's simply this. That before you and I ever come to Jesus, in our moments of feeling overwhelmed and anxious and tired with our hearts and lives just falling apart, before any of that happens, Jesus is coming for us first. Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, Luke 22, verse 44 the text says that Jesus was in a moment of anguish himself, sweating like great drops of blood. Jesus on the cross cries aloud with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, laba sabachthani, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus in his anguish in the garden, very similar if not the same language from Psalm 61. I cry aloud to the Lord. Jesus in anguish, cries aloud, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Later, as Jesus breathes his last in the crucifixion account in Matthew, the text again says that Jesus cries aloud. The same language of Psalm 61. And so, friends, Jesus, before we even come to him, Jesus has gone through anguish. He has cried out for you and for me to save us, his people, to make a way when there was no way, to lay down his life that we might experience the forgiveness and the healing and the peace, the shalom of God because of what Christ has done. That friends, as we are invited to come to him in these moments of feeling overwhelmed and broken and tired, remember this, that Christ has already and is continuing to pursue you and to pursue me. And that we recognize that in those moments when we turn back to him and we come to him in these moments of feeling overwhelmed, we recognize and we see that Jesus has been right there all along. And so, friends, I want to do something a little bit different this morning. Before we enter into a time of singing, worship through singing, practically for us, we usually kind of have a few things that, you know, for the week ahead, a couple things here or there, but let's do the practical thing right now. And so let's come to God with our honesty and our vulnerability. And so what I would like to do is just maybe for the next five, seven minutes with maybe three or four people that are right around you to pray. To pray into all these different things that might be overwhelming. To pray for maybe what's happening in Afghanistan or in Haiti. To pray for Tony and his family and his mom to maybe there's something in your own personal life. Now, it's, we don't have a ton of time here, so as I'll, I'll pray for us, and then just whoever's sitting right around you, just grab three to four people, and just, if you can, just immediately just begin praying. And then I'll come up in about five or seven minutes, I'll pray again, and then we'll have a time to, to go before the Lord in song. So, does that sound Okay. God, we ask that over these next few minutes that you would help us. God, you, you would give us just more of you in our lives. We want to come to you now. God, please help.
So as you feel led, just within the people right around you, just pray out loud for five, seven, ten minutes. We'll come back up in a second.